Thank you, Scott. And uh, let's jump into the white paper and really get a sense of where this is coming from, from your perspective. So the white paper opens up and there's a quote here that I want to just bring out. It says, surging inflation and corresponding central bank responses can threaten our recovery and potentially plunge the economy into recession or worse stagflation. So just high level, give us a sense of where we are. How did we get here? Everyone says the market, the market, the market. What is your perspective of how did we get to where we are today? Right. So, you know, in, in last year's white paper, we wrote about the fact that we were in this great recalibration mm-hmm. and it was going to be a period of growth potential for our country like we haven't seen since post-World War II, right? It was the post-COVID period where during COVID, all this innovation in science, in technology, in medicine came to life and was going to be harvested on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. And then we've had all this uh, government spending on infrastructure, on decarbonization, on uh, the digital transformation and deglobalization of people bringing back manufacturing to the U.S. So all this capital invested. So, you know, it's very optimistic of a view of where our country economy was going to go over the next decade Mm -hmm. and which of the sectors that would benefit from that great recalibration. I think what we underestimated in last year's white paper, this is going back to 2022's white paper, was crossing the chasm to that new normal that I mm-hmm. described mm-hmm. was much more turbulent than we anticipated. Okay. And that the level of inflation and corresponding historic rise in interest rates, you know, creates financial shocks to the system that, you know, that could become you know, anything from a, what we saw with the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank failures to more bank failures to a slowdown in the housing market to an r- increase in unemployment. Because when you have the inflation that we had, which really, you know, came on fast and furious, and a lot of it was at the time thought to be, they called transitory, which meant was it a byproduct of some of the supply chain chokeholds that mm-hmm. existed during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to get products and so prices right. spiked up, but when the supply chains it would all normalized, it would all get normal. Right. And that turned out not to be the case. Uh-huh. And some of that was that there was it was more ingrained. Some of it there was like a pent up demand by the consumer. The consumer who staying had, home for a while that time, home, right? right. And they were and they were you know and they hadn't spent money and their savings account had more money in it than they've had historically. Uh-huh. And then there was the the recovery was much quicker than people anticipated. So there was people that uh, were unemployed now being hired at faster paces. There's a shortage of labor in the job market. And then you had Ukraine, which had an impact on food prices, on energy prices, mm-hmm. and on commodity prices. So it all sort of converged at, at once in the mix. And it was not you know that predictable to be as extreme as it was. But the response for that from the Federal Reserve standpoint, which is you know has a dual mandate of maintaining price stability, meaning low and inflation and a healthy job market, right? And that's the dual mandate that it Uh has. But when inflation was spiking as fast as it was, and the Federal Reserve was sort of caught behind the eight ball on responding, they raised rates at this historic pace. And we've never seen them at this pace before in terms of the level of rate increases that we've had. And when you raise interest rates, the whole purpose of raising interest rates is to slow down that economic growth. So that if a company was thinking about expanding and they were going to borrow as part of that expansion and that interest rate that they would borrow was 4%, it's now 8% or 10%. Or if someone was going to buy a home and they were going to be able to borrow from a mortgage that was 2 to 3%, it's now 7%. Or if you're borrowing off your credit card and that was, you know, 12 to 15%, it's now 20 to 25%, right? right? So everything costs more. And the concept of that 
is to slow down demand and temper the economic growth. And so this is what you know, the Federal Reserve has been doing. And the economy has proven to still be more resilient than anyone had anticipated because the consumers continues to be resilient and more resilient than some of the pent-up demand that we spoke about and other factors. My personal view is that that resiliency is more of a factor of you know, COVID-related implications of things that were funding growth and the federal government invest, you know, putting money into the system mm-hmm. that took longer to come out. Plus the fact that during these low interest rates that existed during COVID, a lot of people locked in to longer terms on their home homes, right? A lot of people locked in longer terms, a lot of companies on their debt. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, the interest rate increase didn't have the normal impact that it would traditionally have on uh-huh. the economy, right? And so my personal view is it's just a matter of time, right? The day of reckoning is coming. The weight of the interest rates has to slow down the economy. Now, the question is, how much does it slow it down? And how much, you know, what sectors, and does it create financial shocks along the way, like we've seen with the banks? And I think that's going to be, you know, what will play out over the next six to 12 months. So we're almost at the precipice right now, meaning we've gotten the beginning of this. We're feeling the increased interest rates, and we're seeing it at the margins, or it's coming, it's seeping. People are slowing down their homes. People are slowing down the, the, to buying and building. And you feel that while the system works itself through and the rest of that debt that people locked in start to come due, we'll continue to see it going forward for yeah. And, 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 and I mean, the, the early indicators of that, right? if you look at the areas that would be, have the, the most sensitivity to debt, right? Which is the lower wage earners, heavy use of credit card. You've mm-hmm. seen credit card delinquencies go up. Mm-hmm. You've seen auto loan delinquencies go up. Uh-huh. If you look at small businesses that typically have loans that are floating rate loans, mm-hmm. they're you know the ones that in the survey after survey are slowing down or their their growth or terminating you know shrinking their size of their companies right because they're seeing this. So there's it's it's going to flow through again. There may be some segments of the economy that are impacted more than others, and from when you look at the macro numbers, they may not appear to be as painful of a downturn as a, on a macro basis, but there'll be some segments of the economy that are going to be hit harder than other segments of the economy. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the banking sector in particular, the regional banks are very much exposed. And I've said publicly that I, could, I you know, there's 4,700 banks in the U.S. that I could see there being 500 to 1,000 less wow. banks two years from now than there are today. Now, that doesn't mean they're all fail. It means that, you know, they could be forced to consolidate because right. they can't afford to stay independent because of the interest rates, the regulatory environment, the cost to keep deposits, mm-hmm. et cetera. And does this, in, you, in, my, in the white paper, you mentioned how this is really not a temporary glitch, right? This is potentially a reset. We're living at a time, right? You, in the white paper, you speak about this idea of a free money era, an era where Things are super cheap. You can borrow money at very low rates. And as a result, you create deals and you create capital structures that factor in very low rates. Right. But in a world where that's not going to be around, it's not just a, a recession that goes away, comes and goes, if you will. This is a reset in your mind. Right. So, yeah, so the decade plus of almost zero interest rates was an anomaly that right. artificially inflated asset values. Right. Which many people live values. through, so they don't know anything else. Right. Like Many right. people grew up in a world where Correct. Their careers are 
almost entirely in this decade. So they're like, what are you talking about? That's how it is. Right. But it's not how it is. Right. So that, so, the, so, the, so there's a, you know, the way the framing is, there's a regime change, right? An interest uh -huh. rate regime uh -huh. change from that, you know, zero to low interest rate regime to what I'll call a more normalized interest rate regime, meaning where, we're, where we are is more normal than where we have been. Mm -hmm. And with that, the valuations of buildings and businesses and the capital structures related to them all need to be reset to reflect the new regime change, right? Mm -hmm. And that's going to create the dislocation. And that's what's where it's going to create that turbulence, right? As we cross that chasm to go through that process. It also creates the opportunities, which is something that we at RXR spent a lot of time focused on, right. which is, you know, in resetting those capital structures, there's an illiquidity in the marketplace. And if you have, you know, a good transparency, you can actually capitalize that on making investments or loans as part of these resetting of those capital structures. Right. And that's why in the white paper, you speak about this, which I think is it's a, it's a different way of seeing the world. I think a lot of people look at it and go, when is the recession going to be over? We, we did it in 08. We did it in 01. This is part of the sort of the flow. And you, re you write about how that's not the case at all. This is really closer to the SNL crisis. It's really a very different thing qualitatively. So talk right. that through with us a little bit right. as so to how go, you see this. If you go to the other, the more recent recessions, really what happened was the Federal Reserve and policymakers were able to sort of flood the economy with cheap money again, which helped sort of give us a, a surge that pushed us out of the mm -hmm. downturn, right? And that was really because it was a, a demand-driven recession. We need to drive more demand. In this case, it's not really demand driven. It's a, a recession that's driven by the fact that the cost of capital has gone up. Mm -hmm. And so we have to go through a re-equitization, a revaluation process. And that is a slower moving process. And that's a process that if you go back to the early 90s, mm -hmm. when we had something similar to like this, where there was the SNL crisis mm -hmm. and the Resolution Trust, but that was a multi-year process mm -hmm. where independent of what was happening with the economy, which was at that time slow growth, there was a whole, you know, the financial re-engineering to reset for that new regime. And the regime in the early 90s wasn't about interest rates. It wasn't about low interest rates to high interest rates that inflated valuations. It was that there was tax law in place that incented people to invest in things like real estate or oil and gas for non-economic reasons but for tax reasons, which created an inflated values. And then in 1986, they changed that tax law, mm -hmm. which then you know created that regime change. So everything right. that was done pre-1986 law had to be reset for the post. Right. It wasn't anyone did anything wrong. It was the... The rules of the game changed. Exactly. And that's, I think, a critical piece for, for everyone to understand is that what's different about this economic shift and the ones that I think many of us have ever experienced is that this is qualitatively a different experience completely it'll take a little bit longer but it's going to reset the whole economy right and, and there'll be new there'll also probably be structural changes to it right i think there's you know when you think about lending and if we're going to lose those banks and what's the role of banks you know there there may be a change in how people think about banks almost mm -hmm. like how they think about the utility companies right at the right. end of the day you know banks provide a financial system in which people can transact and can rely on and do they end up doing more of that than risk-taking, and does the risk-taking become more of the private sector so the RxRs of the world become lenders where banks used to be lenders, right? And do we see more of that happening 
as we come out of it. So there may be some, you know, meaningful structural changes as we work our way through. And the other, another point just that you raised that uh, in the different, I want to just come back to it because, you know, in 08, 09, when we had the great financial crisis, you know, there was a, a heavy period of irresponsible speculation by many, right? Banks were lending a lot, 90% of every dollar of investment. And there was speculation as to where prices were going, where rents were going. And so when it collapsed, you know, it wasn't surprised because there was a bubble of, of activity and speculation, right? And so it was over leveraged. And that's why there was so much questions about irresponsible activities. And I think, you know, in this situation we're in right now, in this situation, and, this, and I frame this a lot for policymakers, is this borrowers were not borrowing irresponsibly. Right. Lenders were not lending irresponsibly. Right. But you could take a, what was a responsible loan in a world where interest rates were 3%, and now put it where it's got to be refinanced when the interest rates are 9% and it doesn't work anymore. Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. You know, in a previous episode, we spoke about this idea of thinking and the time that you take every day to plan out. It feels to me that if you're living during this period of time, that's no longer, it was never a luxury. It was always a necessity, but now it is absolutely a necessity. You're in a reset mode. You, rules of yesterday that we've been relying on are not the rules of tomorrow. And so... Spending the time thinking and reading and learning and educating yourself is now a critical function towards the future. And in the future, I guess we're going to talk a little bit more in future episodes about how it impacts us in particular. But uh, thank you for taking the time and really explaining a little bit about how this is a little bit of a different world. And, and frankly, it could be really an exciting place to be in, the opportunity yeah, to be in a place absolutely. of a reset. No, and as I said, you know, we view this as that, and we even frame it as the power, the, the, the pandemic pivot, right? Because there's a pivot that you want to take place to shift your strategy for what the current environment is. So right. look okay. forward to talking more about that. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Brian.